Okay, welcome to another edition of the Edlo Podcast. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I say it three times every time. We are here today. This is going to be a very interesting one. I'm here with Peter Young. Hello, Peter. Josh, how are you? I'm doing great. Do you go by Pete, Peter? What do you go by? You know, usually Peter, although the funny thing is I talk to old high school friends from back east and they all call me Pete. And I don't remember <laughs> that, but they call me Pete. Everybody else calls me Peter. Whatever okay. Well, great. Well, we'll go with Peter then. So, Peter, the, the reason why you're on here is because uh, I found you, uh, you go on podcasts and you've written a book regarding your experience with, uh, with a, a cult-like religion, right? And and the religion that you um, that you were involved in the cult you were involved in would you call it kind of a Christian style cult is it is it based in Christianity yes and you know non denominational we would have considered ourselves really true Christians who knew the true gospel and everybody else did hmm okay well um, and we talked a little bit about this off air the cult itself did not have a specific name like it wasn't a specific sect is that right right and it was tiny you know ours was at the most maybe 12 adults and then you know my kids so you know like six or seven kids mine and some others so it was small Wow okay and where was this located so our cult leader is a guy named Uncle Robert. That's what everybody calls him. He's in Southern California. And we all in the cult were in either Idaho or Montana. So, you know, kind of northern Idaho. I'm in the Bozeman area. Oh, okay. Um, but he was in Southern California. Were there other little groups of the cult as well, or were you the only one? No, we were really the only ones. He did have, you know, one or two guys down there. So Uncle Robert would now be close to 80. Uh, mm. Born and raised in Syria, and um, he had a friend. Again, think Batman and Robin. You know, Uncle Robert being Batman, and hit the Robin to that would have been this guy named Brother Michael. And, mm. and you know, Brother Michael did whatever Uncle Robert tried to do, and he was from Southern California. Interesting. Wow. And um, so, well, let's let's start. I want to talk about your background. Where were you born? Tell me about your your family makeup. Where you were in the birth order, things of that nature. Sure. You know, and I could I tell people I can give you the, the Reader's Digest version of my life. So born and raised in, in uh, northeast New Jersey, just outside of New York City, youngest of five boys, all boys, very competitive. We all played sports, Christian home, loving parents, still alive today in their late 80s. And then growing up, I graduated high school in 86. I was going to be the next Larry Bird. So I mm. was determined. He was my favorite player. So I even played college basketball at George Washington University. I did write a novel loosely based on my experience there. It's called The Blue Team. And uh, clearly, because none of your audience probably knows about me, I did not become the next Larry Bird. <laughs> so, then I, so then I got into coaching, and I was going to be the next John Wooden, the great you know, UCLA head coach. So I moved yeah. out to Colorado, where an old coach of mine lived, and uh, coached for two years. You know, I was going to be the next John Wooden, but I was so immature because I was so cocky, so arrogant. And then I read the book, What Colors Your Parachute, which is a gift that you would give like a high school or college senior to help you figure out what you want to do in life. And I decided I was going to be a sports broadcaster. Hmm. So I was going to be the next Bob Costas. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I had a nice, you know, like 10 to 12 year run as a broadcaster. And I've been doing it part time ever since as well. But um, my claim to fame as a broadcaster, it's kind of funny. I was doing a local six and 10 sports in Pocatello, Idaho, tiny, small market before I met my wife. And uh, I had a blooper, you know, we're live. And I just couldn't stop laughing. I just had the giggles one night, you know, it's like 11 o'clock late December, who's watching anyway? And I just started laughing. So then Oprah back in the 90s was, you know, this huge ratings behemoth. And we were an ABC affiliate. And her producers did a show on laughter. So they asked all the affiliates around the country for, for bloopers. And mine made Oprah. So that was my 50 yeah. seconds of fame. <laughs> Very nice. Awesome. <laughs> Going back to your basketball, what position did you play? Oh, classic tweener, you know, too short to be effective on the inside, too slow to be a good guard, but I was a three. Okay. So, that's so you, were, you were Larry Bird. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and here's the funny thing, too, and I'll, we'll dive deep here. Red Arbuck, okay, uh -huh. fame basketball coach, uh, was the you know, general manager, president of the Celtics. For all of those years, he drafted Larry Bird. He played at George Washington University, like in the 40s. In all those years when he was with the Celtics, he had a home in D.C., so he would come to a game or two or a practice or two every year. So here I am, this huge Celtic fan, Larry Bird fan. And one day my freshman year, 
I go into the gym to get ready for practice, and there's Red Arbuck with my basketball. And he says, Red, this is Peter Young, one of our freshmen. Peter, this is Red Arbuck. Of course, I knew. And Red, I've never met him, but he'd seen a couple practices. And he doesn't say, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. He says, hi, Young. You can shoot, but you can't do nothing else. And that's the only thing I ever said. The only conversation I ever had with Red Arbuck. <laughs> he was right. Uh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, so it's funny. I didn't I didn't play uh, college, but I played uh, high school basketball, and I was I was a five. I'm six seven, so oh, wow. you know, um, so I, I, you know, if I had gone farther, or six foot seven, I would not be playing center. You know, I would probably been I would have been probably a three or a four at best uh, as far as height goes. But yeah, so uh, big Celt- My dad is diehard '80s Celtics fan i mean oh, all those years oh yeah when i was a kid we were watching the 86 celtics he still talks yeah. about them yeah. and uh big big fan of all of that and i remember watching i i'm a i'm a sacramento kings fan so so laker hatred is deep in my bones uh it's just uh can't stand him and when lebron went over there let me tell you that made it a thousand times worse you know <laughs> Oh man, they just get everybody. So um, they're like the Yankees of the NBA. But anyhow, so so uh, so you seem you. I mean, you went to college, educated. Did you did you graduate with a degree and everything? Yeah, history degree, business minor. Okay, yeah. So I mean, you're a well-educated guy. I think that people think of people who join Colts as being, you know. Your guy in somewhere in the deep south who kind of lives in you know maybe in the Appalachians or something, uh, but you're an educated guy uh, with a Christian background. You, was your background in a specific sect of religion uh, or of Christianity rather? No, I grew up in a non-denominational church. I think if you were to go in as a visitor, you would say Presbyterian. But mm-hmm. you know, over the years, I think I went to a Methodist church, a Baptist church. I currently go to a CRC, which is Christian Reform, which used to be mm-hmm. Dutch Reform. So, mm-hmm. again, I consider myself non-denominational, but very mainline uh, Christian. Okay. And so um, what was it that led you to Uncle, what was it, Uncle Robert? Uncle was Robert, it? yeah. Yeah. Well, I basically married into it unwittingly. So I was living in Pocatello, Idaho, southeast Idaho, 27. I was 28 when I met her. And, you know, I wanted to be married, but I, you know, I dated some girls, but I'd never been married. And uh, her real name is not Paige, but I call her Paige in my book, and I, I just stick with Paige. Um, six foot one, beautiful athletic woman, wavy blonde hair, couldn't miss her. And I would see her around town every now and then, and I just kind of dubbed her the blonde gal. And I just, mm-hmm. I never met her. Ooh, the blonde one, she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I was at the gym one day, and, and this guy, Gary, you know, knew who she was. And so I described the blonde girl. He said, oh, I know who that is. That's you know, Paige and her sister, but be careful, they've got this weird family guru. And before I even met her, I'd heard about the weird family guru. Hmm. And then like a week or two later, we meet at a singles Bible study. The next week, you know, we meet again, and then we start dating shortly thereafter. Um, and then So real quick, the, the singles Bible study, was this just like a non-denominational Bible study? It was at the University Bible Church. And I've even, you know, reconnected with the pastor. We're talking, this is 96, so this is 26 years ago. You know, and you don't go to a single Bible study, you know, to soak in the pastor's teaching, right? I mean, you <laughs> right. go to someone to date and marry. And, uh, you know, the first week or two, I was like, oh, boy. And then she showed up. It was just this blonde gal. It was amazing. Yeah. And I was 90% sure I wanted to marry her after a week or two dating. Wow, yeah. But the only 10%, let's say, of doubt was her father and uncle robert because she talked about him all the time Hmm. and i knew if i married her they would have a huge impact on my life well what's interesting about this real quick is when you think it's interesting that you guys met at a bible study just some kind of random church because usually these cults are like they're very contained so you're saying that uh she was free to go to these other churches or was she trying to recruit what was the the deal there you know, it's interesting because some cults really do. And first of all, cults come in all shapes and sizes, right? The one thing they all share is undue mind control or mm. you know, mind control where they're controlling what people think. So we never really were out recruiting other members with almost the exact opposite 
always trying to protect Uncle Robert because the rest of the world wouldn't get him, right? Like, mm-hmm. don't pour your pearls before the swine. Yeah. So if we did too much of that, the swine would then come after us and Uncle Robert because he's a danger to them because he's exposing the truth, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So no, she was not out recruiting. And Uncle Robert lived in Southern California. We all lived in Idaho and Montana, all of us in this little cult, and which is only like a few families. And um, we would go to churches, you know, over the years, Paige and I were married over 20 years. Um, we would go to church and then leave and then church and then leave because the pastor would say something, someone in the church would say something. She would, of course, always relay this to Uncle Robert on the phone. And before you know it, we can't go there anymore. Because, yeah. You know, the pastor's evil, he's devil or whatever. Hmm. So as you're going through um, your courtship, how long was your courtship before marriage? It's fascinating. So um, we uh, dated six months, and then I asked her to marry me, and then we were, you know, engaged for three. So from when we met, with marriage, it was nine months. Then a month later, we got pregnant. <laughs> she got pregnant. That you know, that's so funny because you know, I, I mentioned being being member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, Mormon, and your your courtship is very Mormon like. I yeah. mean, I don't, I don't, you know, being in Idaho, you probably see this. I mean guys will go on missions and then they'll come back and they'll meet someone and marry them right out the gate. I mean, just three, six months, they fall in love and then they, and then they're married. And so you're very, it's very similar. So well, the funny thing is the last gal I dated before I met Paige was a Mormon gal. Very nice. We dated I don't know, six, seven months. Mm-hmm. And then when, when I broke up, she was married, literally married within about two and a half months. Yeah. I mean, some other guys swooped in and they got married as fast as they could. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild. So you had a, a very similar uh, courtship. So you guys, so during this, this uh, courtship, uncle Robert comes up, are you starting a kind of conversion process before you get married or how does that go? Great question. And the answer is uh, no. Hmm. So the name of my book is stop the tall man, save the tiger. Anyway, this came out this year, Amazon bestseller. Okay, so why did I name it this? So right before I met Paige, she'd had this dream, and it's a really important dream. Do I believe that the Lord can speak to us in dreams? Sure, he's God, he can do whatever he wants. So she has a dream that she's in a house, and she's with her boyfriend at the time, a guy named Chad. And there's a tiger on the loose, and the tiger's looking for her. And if the tiger finds her, it's going to kill her. She knows this. But she does not want to kill the tiger. She really wants to know what the tiger is, to control the tiger. Because the tiger represents things in life that she identifies with and respects. So strength and honor and dignity, et cetera, intelligence. So she only wants to kind of control the tiger, protect it, but not kill it. The door opens to the house and in walks a tall man. But she can't see the face of the tall man. And the tall man is there to kill the tiger. Okay, so she writes all this down in a letter, sends it to Uncle Robert. I found out the dates of all this like 20 years later. Uh, Uncle Robert writes his interpretation of the letter, 26 pages long, on a Wednesday, sends it to her on a Friday. We met at that singles Bible study on Sunday. Wow. So right at the time he sends that letter, we meet. And then she shows me the letter about a month later because it's so important to her. It's just like it's on her mind. She can't get it out of her head. And Uncle Robert's 5'6". I'm six foot five. Uncle Robert had a face that she knew really well. He was always in her life. I can get into that later. He, you know, he was friends with her parents. And so, you know, when the tall man comes in, she can't see his face. It's because she hadn't met me yet. And again, I didn't put these, connect these dots until 23, 23 years, 24 years later. And uh, in the dream, the boyfriend, Chad, as soon as the door opens, the tall man comes in, Paige hides because she's worried about the tiger and chad disappears the boyfriend so at the second singles bible study she comes in with chad and i'm like oh and i don't know who this guy was i'm like oh she's got a boyfriend like my heart sunk it's the last time i ever saw him Hmm. literally have not seen him since so i came into her life he disappears in the dream tall man comes to the, the house he disappears she hides and then she spends all of this energy which is like the one thing uncle robert got correct is that she spends all of this energy trying to hide and protect the tiger from the tall man. Well, in real life, 26 years ago, whatever, Uncle Robert used that dream and his long letter, 23 pages, whatever it was, to convince Paige she was the tiger, meaning she wasn't a Christian, 
because the tiger represented her old man, the old self that the Bible talks about, you know, crucifying the old self. So she was, you know, put, like, possessed by the tiger, I guess, and not a Christian. And he was the tall man, even though he's five six. Uh, wow. She, she believed it. And so then a few months after we're dating, she comes back from a trip where she saw him and says, I'm now a Christian. I kind of thought she was. Hmm. She had been baptized a few months before she met me. Uncle Robert talks about it in the letter, drove him nuts because he wasn't there. Hmm. She was baptized, publicly professes her faith, goes to church, goes to singles Bible study, meets me, and yet he turns the letter completely upside down. And really, she did spend most of our marriage resisting whatever little resistance I gave towards Uncle Robert, like, really? He said this, he said that? And she was always trying to protect him. Hmm. And that was the story of our marriage. Yeah. So so tell me more about then your your progression into the only word I could think of is conversion into the cult. Yeah. Well it took a long time. So we got married in ninety seven. So again the, the Tiger Dream letter was ninety six. We got married in ninety seven. First child came on in ninety eight, second one in two thousand. And so for many of these early years, I thought we had the best marriage ever. Absolutely adored and loved my wife. I uh, thought I was the best husband ever. She was the best wife ever. And Uncle Robert lived in California. And we lived in Colorado briefly and then mostly in Idaho. So he was never always there, but he was always there via email or phone. And so there were a few moments along the journey where I continued to get worn down and eroded. So, you know, 15 years later was when I finally succumbed and allowed him to, you know, quote unquote, save me. But I'll give you a few examples if I can. So, uh, everybody remembers where they were on 9-11. And I remember where I was. I had friends that, you know, got out of the tower that I went to high school with in New Jersey. We were there that day. I had a high school friend who was widowed that day. So I had my thoughts about 9-11. But about a year later, Uncle Robert, we were at a conference. So we would always have these conferences at Paige's parents' house, my in-laws. It was basically just getting together for three or four days. And we would sit in the living room and listen to him talk for hours on end. No dialogue, hmm. no chit-chat, just him. And one of these days, he starts talking about 9-11 and how 80,000 people died that day. What? 80,000 people? I thought it was 3,000. And then how Truman was a Jew and Roosevelt was a Jew. And it was my first exposure to his raving anti-Semitism. Hmm. So all of recorded history for him was this conflict between Jacob and Esau, the twins. Mm-hmm. Jacob becomes greater Christendom. Esau um, becomes Edom, which is modern Jewry. So every war, recession, depression, you know, plane crash, whatever, is a Jewish plot to take over the world and dominate us Christians. And so when he would share stuff like this along the way, you know, little by little, his theology, his ideas, which are bizarre, I was always like, you guys believe this? Yeah, you're like, no, nobody really? else. <laughs> you're yeah. in the room. It feels like you're in the room. You're like, nobody else hearing this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So then I would ask questions, and again, you're not supposed to question the cult leader. So every time I would ask a question, the response was usually not an answer from Uncle Robert. It was more of, why are you so stupid, Peter? Why don't you get it? And then therefore, in Paige's eyes, why is my husband so dumb? Why is he so disrespectful? Why does he listen to Uncle Robert? So, so let, me, let me stop you right there. So what do you mean by that? Like you would ask a question and he would just insult you, or would he be kind of condescending in his answer, or he wouldn't answer at all? Uh, all three. Okay. Um, so, like with the Jewish question, you know, I would constantly kind of ask, well, you know, where's the, where's the facts? Where do you back that up? So what do you mean about this? What about that? Like, for instance, I got a guy named Dan Schneider. He's Jewish. I, we went to mm-hmm. high school and college together. He was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. I guarantee you, he has no idea what Uncle Robert is talking about. He's Jewish. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, you know, when I would ask these questions year after year after year, he finally just got sick and tired of it. And he looked at it like, well, I'm just not... I just need to trust him and not, why do I need evidence? Why do I need mm. proof? Just trust me, I'm Uncle Robert. I know better. Mm. That's what Paige did. That's what my in-laws did. That's what my kids did. And so when you had when you had these these questions, would this spark a fight within your relationship with your wife? Like, it, like was it a situation where you'd be there and you'd be like, okay, so this whole Jews are bad thing. Uh, let's talk about this. And then you'd get home and she'd be like, I can't believe you did that to Uncle Robert. Don't you have a, you know, aren't you obedient? What's your deal? Blah, blah, blah. Like, is that how it would work? Or Eventually. Okay. So early on, it did not. 
I think she really tried to, you know, make the marriage work as I did. Again, I never, never in my wildest dreams did I think we'd get divorced. I, I never thought it would happen. And I have good reason for that. Um, but when that, that 9-11 discussion we had, I remember that happened was like late at night. And I'm like, and I grew up back east where we had, I had, you know, Jewish friends, Catholic friends, black, white, Hispanic, whatever. And like, we all would make jokes, you know, you know towards each other, no big deal, before political correctness, no big deal. This unnerved me. Like I was terrified of Uncle Robert in that moment. And I remember telling her that night, like, I don't think we should have anything to do with this guy. She listened politely, but then I never pushed it. I never followed up and I should have, and I let it go. So, you know, now hindsight 2020, if I had, she might've left me then, you know, three mm. years later. Mm-hmm. But then many years later, like a year or two before she left me, so she left in 2017, you know, we had an issue about tithing and some other things. And then I would ask these questions and she was irate with me, just mm. irate, you know, would treat me like a, a, a stupid, you know, pupil in second grade that she was the teacher. Just, wow. yeah, she was so upset with me. So tithing, was it the typical 10% of your income you would pay to Uncle Robert? Yeah. So um, a friend of mine, you know, when you pull back and look at it, right, from yeah. the 30,000 feet, Uncle Robert also believed that casinos were the true houses of worship and that uh, the true churches in America were casinos and not the church you and I go to on a Sunday. Those are worthless. And the idea was that well, anybody could go into a casino and be blessed by the Lord, regardless of your bank account, your profession, your degrees, whatever. Okay, but when I go to a casino, I see people worshiping money, not the Lord. Yeah, right. So then we would all tithe it. So our family, and then Paige was one of five as well, but their family was splintered because of Uncle Robert. You either followed him or you were shunned, but most mm. of them were shunned. So our family, one brother who followed, he would tithe, and then Paige's parents would tithe, and then Michael, brother Michael, that's about it. So we weren't making him wealthy. But my friend was like, Peter, you guys sent him money every month. And he would go to casinos all the time. And I was like, boy, when you put it like that, that doesn't feel <laughs> you're, good. You're like, you know, what, you're like, you know, when you say it out loud. <laughs> Man. So the, the thing with tithing was, you know, we went through a rough patch a few years where we were broke. And I used to tithe like prison fellowship, campus crusade for Christ, our local church, whatever. And then some would go to him. Ten years in, it's all going to him, right? All going to Uncle Robert. But for a few years there, we were just broke. And so he's like, "If you, when you tithe to me, I'll tithe it right back to you." It was his rationale, which means nobody did anything. You know, mm-hmm. he never sent us money. We because mm-hmm. we were broke, we would tithe to him. So instead of me sending a thousand dollar tithe check, we would just not send anything. But in Paige's mind, because this is what Uncle Robert said was that he was in his benevolence and brilliance, just tithing it back to us. Sorry. So then I remember after like two years, and so I'm like, you know, honey, we're not really tithing at all. We should really tithe. Oh my goodness. She was furious. How dare you insult Uncle Robert because he has been tithing back to us for two years. And I'm like, no, nobody's been doing anything. <laughs> wow. Wow. So is this, I mean, how did your life change being in the cult i mean what were some of the more and on in that same question like what were the, some of the strange were there strange practices within the cult that you could talk about well there was certainly no physical abuse no sexual abuse you know uncle robert was weird you know he would talk about things that were a little odd and weird criminal no but weird yeah um and you know we didn't commit suicide although i'd say like to say you know we drank the kool-aid but you know, we didn't mm-hmm. commit suicide we didn't shave our heads live in a commune etc cetera, etc cetera. But again, cults are all about mind control, first and foremost. That is the foundation. And they all have a cult leader, which is usually narcissistic, charismatic, makes all the rules, but they don't uh, apply to him, and often a gatekeeper to God. And so the gatekeeper to God thing was really probably the, the worst thing, because he was very spiritually abusive. You, know, you weren't saved unless he said you were. And cults control their members through secrecy, paranoia, and isolation. So really, in terms of my day-to-day life, that was probably the biggest thing I could look back and tangibly say that was odd, that was unhealthy. Mm-hmm. I, you know, my family, so the greater young family, you know, that spread out all over the country, you know, knew about Uncle Robert. They didn't know much about him, right? Because we mm-hmm. protected him. But over the years, we left church after church till we stopped going to church. And then we wouldn't tell our friends what was going on. And then when Paige left me, I didn't tell my family for four months. Then my wife had left me, took the kids, and was telling them that I was the devil. Hmm. because I had isolated myself. 
Why? Because that's what Paige and Uncle Robert and her parents wanted. Well, that's interesting that you bring that up and you mentioned narcissism. I've had I've had uh, therapists on who specifically deal with narcissism. That's a big hallmark is isolation. They isolate you from everybody. So it's interesting that you kind of self-isolated when you were, because I'm guessing when she left you, you were kind of shunned from the cult. Is that, is oh, that right? Oh, yeah. So yeah. we have five kids. She took the three youngest. The two oldest stayed with me because they were, one was going to a local college, still living at home. The other one was in high school. And we were in Montana, so she took the three younger kids to Idaho. Again, I didn't tell anybody. Nobody in my family knew. And within short order, you know, Uncle Robert, Paige, and her parents were all convinced I was the devil. I was not saved. I was a danger to the kids and everybody. And it, it got really ugly really fast. So it sounds like we kind of jumped ahead to um... – you know, like we jumped ahead ten between ten and twenty years. You guys were married for twenty years, so I'm guessing that this was a slower process down the road. So, um, was there were there signs of things going bad as you were going through this, or signs that things were getting worse within the within Uncle Robert's cult? Yeah, yeah, no question. I mean, there's a lot of signs. I'll give you two examples of how really the how destructive he was towards our marriage okay? right so you know I, i'm a firm believer that in a strong christian marriage you know the, nobody gets between the husband and the wife right no parent no child no friend no guru no preacher they can help from the outside but you don't mm -hmm. get the so uh, a couple of years after we got married i lost my wedding band couldn't mm -hmm. find it finally bought a new one 10 years later maybe you know seven eight whatever it is i find the old original wedding band and we're still married. We've been married maybe 15 years at this time. And um, I was thrilled because at that point, you know, the balloon was off the rose. Our marriage is not what it used to be. And it reminded me of the good old days in Income, Idaho, where we lived. We just got married. And I showed it to Paige and yeah, she was happy. But oh, by the way, right about that time, Uncle Robert had lost his wedding band. Well, hmm. I couldn't wear two wedding bands, could I? And she barely had to ask me. So I sent my original wedding band she said it, you know, and Uncle Robert wore it. Wow. So, you know, she wanted him to wear my wedding band. A couple years later, maybe one or two, Uncle Robert had two sons. And those two sons get married. They're probably in their 40s now. And they did not have sons. They had daughters and they had adopted sons, but no biological sons. So Uncle Robert had no biological heir. So we had five kids and we had talked about having a sixth child. We were going to name him Matthew. And we would have a date night, Friday night, family night, Saturday night. So we go on a date night and uh, she gets all dressed up. She looks beautiful. And uh, she tells me about the burning desire she has to have another child. She wants to have another son, but it's not for me. She wanted to be a surrogate for Uncle Robert's oldest son so that she could bear him, Uncle Robert, a male grandson. So his precious bloodline could continue. Well, obviously, I, mean, I was livid, I was humiliated, I was furious, I was angry, and I was obviously against it. And she was outraged that I was against it, so was Uncle Robert. And then shortly after finding out that I was against it, because um, she, she was like 40 at the time, but who cares beyond that, I just, the idea of her being pregnant with Uncle Robert's grandson repulsed me. Um, she said that she had taken a vow before the Lord that she would never have another child with me until she was either allowed to be a surrogate or offer it to Uncle Robert's son. And this guy had no idea. And um, so then Uncle Robert was like, well, gee, you shouldn't have done that, Paige. And so she didn't do it. She didn't listen to me. She didn't do it because of him. So now she's even more angry with me. And then within months of that, that was my first conversion experience where I was finally just beaten down, desperate to please my wife, to salvage my marriage, I allowed myself to be convinced in 2015 that I must not be a Christian. Somehow I must have missed it all these years, right? Paige and Uncle Robert are so brilliant, so wise. I must have been wrong all these years. So rather than fighting them and just being worn out and exhausted, I'll do whatever they say. And so then I was supposedly saved, which is utter nonsense and not necessary and evil. Uh, that really kind of started like about a, a two to three year period where I was fully brainwashed. So I was only really brainwashed for about two, three years. Hmm. Most of the time before that, I was like, eh, 
So you, at that point, when you're saving your your marriage, you're you're all in. I mean, you're like, okay, I'm I'm doing this. Yeah, I mean, even when Paige left me, I was desperate to save the marriage. I did not want her to leave. I, I don't like divorce, and it's yeah. divorce is horrible. We've been divorced now three years. We still have ripple effects. I mean, we still argue over the kids. It's horrible. My legal bills are through the roof. It's it's awful. Ours is not a typical divorce. I mean, if you read my book, it's really really hard to get through at times people mm-hmm. you can't put it down or you have to put it down because it's really intense mm-hmm. what they did to me was very uh, abusive mentally emotionally. when you say they did to you you mean you mean Paige and her family or you mean the whole cult well which is most of the cult right so yeah robert Paige and her parents and you know and you know brother michael or Paige's brother yeah they didn't do much it's mostly you know Paige and uncle robert so Uncle Robert, there's like a direct line of hatred from him into Paige and right into my children. And um, Uncle Robert had this perverse ability to inculcate in his followers an astonishing level of hatred. I mean, astonishing. And most of it was directed at me. Hmm. And the reasons for that is, well, let me ask you, did you, it sounds like what you're saying is you believe that your marriage ended because you were leaving the cult or were you kicked out of the cult because your marriage ended? I was kicked out of the cult, yeah. And I could look back now and say that clearly, as long as Uncle Robert held a position of authority in Paige's life, our marriage was doomed. Mm-hmm. So whether or not I had stood up Uncle Robert you know, back around the 2001 you know, or 2002 when he made the 9-11 comment or even had seen the letter Right, we started dating, right? You know, like two months mm-hmm. into dating, and I said, Paige, look at this letter. Like, can't you see what this means? Even if I'd done it then, I don't know. Maybe we never get married. Who knows? Do you believe so it and you strike you tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like when it comes to this dream, you believe the dream was real. You just believe Uncle Robert misinterpreted it to make it about him and not about you. No question about it. He used it to manipulate her. Uh, the dream is definitely real because when Paige talks about her testimony, so the testimony of Christian faith is what has the Lord done for me? How did I become a Christian? Yeah. Um, she will reference that dream mm-hmm. that she thought she was a Christian, mm-hmm. which everybody in the Uncle Robert cult does. You only think you're a Christian until he saves you. Which mm-hmm. of course you can't. Uh, only Jesus Christ can do that. So he manipulated the dream, turned it on its head, convinced Paige that he was the tall man, he was the savior, and she was the tiger. But it was the exact opposite. So it's hmm. fascinating because then after she left, Donna, sorry, I've got my cat here floating around here. Um, <laughs> That's okay. Um, about a month after she left me, so this would be 2017, so almost 20 years to the date when she allowed Uncle Robert to save her, she found a letter that she had written to Uncle Robert but never sent it to him. And in the letter, she expresses doubts about me and my salvation. Because when she came back from that trip where she said Uncle Robert saved me, she then doubted me. Didn't think I was hmm. her. Um, and spent most of her marriage doubting me. So then she finds this letter that she never sent. So then she says, oh, look at this. I should have sent this letter to Uncle Robert. Because then Uncle Robert says, oh, yeah, if you had sent this letter 20 years ago, I would have never let you marry Peter. So... Let's wow. go back now, all these years later, we have five wonderful kids. Do you really think the Lord intended for Paige and I to get married, be together for 20 years, have five kids just so we can get divorced? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think more what happened was that dream, that tiger dream that she had was the Lord's way of saying, you need to get away from this guy. Hmm. And I know knight in shining armor, but it was a way for her to escape him. So you think you think that the tiger was Uncle Robert? Yes. And you think you were the tall man that she couldn't see your face, your face, which would make sense because you're six five, <laughs> right? Yep. And so, but Uncle Robert says that he was the tall man, and her former self was the tiger. Or at that time, she was the tiger. She yeah. was the tiger. Yeah, yeah. Well, then who was she in the dream? Well, she's both, I guess. You know. Okay. Both, All right. Her and the tiger. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, so, so it just see it's very interesting to me because, like I said, when you hear of a cult, you're thinking of cults in the context of they're living in a compound somewhere, you know, like a David Koresh or a, or um, 
a Warren Jeffs where like everyone's living in a compound somewhere and uh, all this weird stuff is going on. And it seems like yours was more like this guy was just kind of the guy that ran everything and said when you were when you were saved, but you were able to just kind of go freely to whatever church you wanted as long as it didn't jack up what he was saying. Right. So, yeah, we would go, we went to churches for most of our marriage, but it was always clear who was in control, who had the last word, who had cornered the truth of the gospel. It was always Uncle Robert. So if there ever was another church pastor or leader or anything uh, that was not controlled by Uncle Robert, it was a threat, and it was removed. Hmm. Um, these other families that were involved in this, I mean, were you guys always hanging out together, doing things together? I mean, were you just like constantly in each other's lives? Um, how would you describe that? Yeah, not as much in terms of physically. So again, you'd have Uncle Robert and Brother Michael down in Southern California. We were in Idaho. His parents were in Northern Idaho, so we were in Southern Idaho. Uh, there was another family. Uh, it was more like one guy, George, who was was in on it. Um, and then when he remarried, you know, his new wife came into the picture and saw it immediately. Like, what is this? <laughs> they left. She got him out, which, of course, then we all me but you know Paige or parents on the Robert consider her a witch because mm. she took, we took George from us so um, when we would get together though you know it was sit around the room and listen to Uncle Robert talk and just soak in his brilliance how often would you guys get together you know it started out about once a year then maybe two or three times a year mm. and okay. I'll give you an idea of like how bizarre it was so I'll tell you another story okay yeah so in 2016, you know, the dominant story in America was the Trump-Clinton presidential race. Oh, I remember. <laughs> yeah. So summer of 2016, we usually meet in June. And Uncle Robert, now mind you, we've got five kids at the time. They're all in the room. Three of them are 10 and under. Mm -hmm. And he starts talking about the female hyena. And so the African hyena, the laughing hyena, in the pack, the dominant species or the dominant person is the female. So after the female given birth a couple of times, it has a fleshy appendage that looks like a penis. Hmm. And so therefore you have this female walking around dominating all the males who lick her groin in submission, lovely, right? And she's walking around with this fleshy appendage that looks bigger than the guy's penises. And so she, Uncle Robert, then compares the female hyena with her fake penis to Hillary Clinton and how if she gets elected, <laughs> She's going to strut the world stage with her fake penis, and world leaders are going to figuratively lick her groin. Disgusting, right? But yeah, that's not even that's not even the worst thing I've heard about Hillary Clinton. Think <laughs> 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 like, like if, if somebody else were saying that, and my four-year-old daughter was in the room, I'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa stop! You know, yeah, appropriate. But whatever was inappropriate for you and me was never inappropriate for Uncle Robert. He could wow. do anything. Yeah. Man, so uh was he a was so he was he a big Trump guy? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I don't know if he still is, but you bet. Man. And so am I. I mean I you know I was too. I mean but yeah. Still, just, well, wow. well, the reason I bring that up and that I I see this in in my church, you know, I see this in a lot of places and that is that is that uh I get if you're into Trump policies, but as far as as Christian values, I don't think anyone would say Donald Trump is the epitome of Christian values. So I find it really interesting that a religious leader who is the one who can tell you if you're saved would be like, yeah, so he might have paid a hundred thousand dollars to a to a porn star, <laughs> but you know, it, you know, it just seems really interesting. Um, so, so t tell me then, give me the journey out of the cult. Like, what what happened? How did you get out of it? So Paige left me in January of 2017 and I was a wreck. Uh, you know, I'm already a kind of a thin guy to begin with. I lost 30 pounds. I couldn't sleep. I was getting about one or two hours a night. Mm, can, I, can, I stop you, can I stop you right there? Let me, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I want to ask, what was it, if you would talk about it, what was it that led Paige to leaving you? Mm. Well, she thought I was faking it. She didn't think I was a Christian. So, mm. uh, you know, I had gone through the process of being saved in 2015. She didn't buy it. She thought I was faking it. Mm. We tried it again the next summer. She still thought I was faking it. Uh, then the Why? Phone, Why did she think you were faking it? Um, because then she would observe my actions and she thought, um, well, you know, I had to be perfect. And if I wasn't perfect, then I wasn't a Christian. 
Interesting. Uh, or I was only trying to become a Christian so I could save my marriage. So I was negotiating with God. That was another phrase that was used for me. Interesting. And, and Uncle Robert had all these little pet phrases uh, that you know would prove whether or not you were a Christian. You know, had you given your final word to the Lord? Had He given His final word to you? Are you on the boat or on the hook? All these things that aren't in the Bible. They're metaphors. And anyway, utter nonsense. So the bar for me to get saved constantly kept getting raised, which of course. Mm. Your audience knows it's a gift. You can't mm -hmm. earn salvation. So, but for me, that was the exact opposite. So she finally just thought, well, you know, no, this guy is a fraud and a devil and he keeps lying. He's not a safe. And I made a mistake when I married him 20 years ago. So I've got to go back to the beginning and erase it all and, and you know, pretend like we were never truly married. He left me from the beginning. All these other crazy things. And I think although Robert knew that, well, wait a minute, you know, Peter's never slept around. I never had an affair and wanted an affair. I got raised my voice at her once in 20 years. Well, you know, I can't justify what Paige is doing. So then he came up with the idea that, well, since Peter lied, they didn't, but lied about being a believer, you guys were never truly married. And I think in her mind, she still believes that. Wow. So, and, and he thinks you lied. Why? Because like what, what led them to believe that you were lying? Um, well, by not being submissive enough to him. Okay. Uh, okay. by being immature. So she would, con Paige would constantly tell me I'm immature. Um, mostly that, just constantly immature. Because you were questioning him? Yeah, I'd question him or just, uh, wasn't the man she thought I should be. You know, again, we, I, I was a sports broadcaster that traveled the world. I had done fairly well. Okay. Monetarily, most of our marriage, not all of it in two different industries, real estate and broadcasting. I'd written a book. My first book came out in 2016, a novel about faith in basketball. And they liked the story, but they said, as Uncle Robert said it, that the only reason I wrote it was to try and fool them, Paige and her parents, Uncle Robert, into thinking that I was a believer. Huh. And um, so, yeah, so they just, you know, she did not see in me what she wanted to, which was Uncle Robert. And uh, so, you know, if you ask too many questions, you're a threat to the cult and the cult leader. Mm. Threats are not allowed. Mm. So she leaves you. Does that start your escape from the cult then? Or had you already kind of started your your journey? No. Out? Oh, I was desperate to hang on. I mean, I, you know, the, the, the amazing thing is nobody knew what was going on. Nobody. Like when I say nobody, nobody other than Paige and I, our kids didn't even know. We didn't tell the kids for a month. Uncle Robert and her parents. And so who's the one person that I called to try and save this marriage? Uncle Robert. I talked to him on the phone for hours every day for weeks after that, and then tried to get him to save me again and again and again. And he and Paige would compare notes. Nope, he's a fraud. He's a demonic sorcerer. He's lying. He's wow. not being truthful. So I, I can't sleep. I'm losing weight. Finally, the kids you know, find out. She tells them. And then I talked with all the kids one-on-one, -on -one, except for my oldest. I never got to do it. And I basically said, I'm sorry. I take all the blame. And I wish I could do it all over again. Because I, I, I'm still convinced at this point that they're right and I'm wrong. I'm convinced I must not be saved. I must be missing it. And I but said, was, it, was, there something, was there something you were doing that they didn't like? I mean, like, other than just them saying randomly, like, I don't believe you're a real believer because X, Y, and Z. Like, was there something there that they had to hold on to? Well, I believe as I look back now with more clarity that what really bothered them was that I was shining the light. I did know the truth and I was questioning a fraudulent, evil little cult leader. Uh -huh. And I think they could sense that. And it was mm -hmm. providing cognitive dissonance in their minds. Now, I yeah. could also look back and see I'm losing my marriage. So, you know, I'm very doubtful. I'm very fearful. I was probably very clingy, you know, trying to mm -hmm. cling to my wife. I wasn't really acting like a man. Let me tell you that much. Uh -huh. I wasn't, again, I, no affairs. I wasn't sleeping around. I wasn't swearing. I wasn't abusive. I just I tried to save my marriage. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. There's not. It sounds like what you're saying is there's not some big glaring thing that we're not that that you that you did that you mentioned no affairs, no. I'm assuming no, no gambling problems, no addictions, no anything like that. Just you're kind of questioning this cult, and they're like, oh, bad dude, bad guy. Yep. Wow. And then what really set her off on the edge, too, was when I told the kids that I loved her, still loved her, she said, well, why did you say that? We were talking on the phone. It was about a month after she left, two months. 
And I said, well, because it's true. And she said, no, it's not true. You only thought you loved me. So big difference because if the little kids are like, well, wait a minute, if daddy loves mommy, why did mommy leave daddy? And Paige will not vow to have the kids think it was her fault. Right. So right. then, oh, no, daddy lied again. See, he's demonic. Wow. So now going through then, so tell, walk me through the final. You're, you're still using, trying to work with Uncle Robert to yep. kind of make your way to try to save it. Yeah, crazy. So then uh, you mentioned in 2018, that's kind of when you started started pulling away. Tell me a little bit more about that. So about four months after she left, I finally called my family, uh, told them, my parents, my brothers. Uh, didn't tell anybody in Montana yet because Paige had told me, don't tell anybody. You know, again, mm -hmm. that's in isolation. So I was like, mm -hmm. hey, I won't tell anybody. Four mm -hmm. months in, I'm like, I gotta tell somebody, I'm a wreck. Sure. I told them, and then I would send them emails that I was getting from Paige and Uncle Robert, and they, of course, were alarmed right away. Now they saw it immediately. They helped me get legal support because I wasn't seeing the kids. But slowly but surely, little things that they would say about me, I'd be like, you know, that doesn't seem right. And everybody else saw it right away. So it was my faith, my family, and friends that finally just, with their love and support, it took a whole year, Josh. Again, I was only brainwashed for about three years. It took a full year to finally really get it. And, and what they were doing was egregious. I mean, it, it got worse that last year. What they were doing to me and saying to me, turning the kids against me, I'm the devil, I hate you, on and on. So then we finally got a guardian and light involved. She filed for divorce. I didn't want it. I said, no, I don't think we should get divorced. Enraged her. When everybody saw what they were doing with the kids, with their cult indoctrination, and they weren't even trying to hide it, uh, Paige and Uncle Robert, weren't even trying to hide it. Uh, we got a garden and light involved. She wrote a jaw-dropping 50-page report, saw it all. The court sent the kids back to me, and that was June of 2018. Wow. And so I was finally, because of the Lord opening my eyes and ears and giving me the wisdom to see it. I'm like, yeah, this is this is a cult. I and mean, I didn't want to call it a cult. I'm like, that's not a cult. With a cult. Yeah, wow. So so in 2018, uh, your kids were indoctrinated in all this too. So, so when they're coming back to you in 2018, I assume full time, do they have resentment towards you? Do they think there's a problem with you? Yeah, so the, the oldest was out of the house in college. Then the second oldest also went off to college. And um, so the three youngest lived with me. And, you know, with the youngest, who would have been seven at the time, it was about a month later before she finally said, I love you, Dad. Um, and then about a month after that, the second youngest boy would have been about 10 at the time, said, I love you. With the middle daughter, it took a lot longer. That's a very long story. But, you know, she eventually did see it. She got it. But it took a while because, again, some people argue that there's no such thing as parental alienation when one parent has to alienate the kids from the other spouse. Let me tell you, it's real. And the guardian ad litem, my attorneys, and then our counselor, family counselor, said our case was the worst case of parental alienation they had ever seen in a combined 60 years of practice. Wow. The kids, believing it. the kids thought I was the devil. I was the wow. bloodline, sperm donor, you name it. Wow. So um, now, looking back now, do your, well, not looking back now, but do your kids have a relationship with their mother now? Yeah. So the two oldest, it's still a work in progress. They're not close to Uncle Robert anymore, but they still believe their mother. They still think I'm the bad guy. I don't think they mm -hmm. think I'm the devil, but, you know, they, they, it's, it's strained for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, with my middle daughter, it's an even more complicated story now that she's graduated high school. But, for the three youngest, you know, they would have visits with their mother. They still love their mom, as they should. Mm -hmm. But I think they also now can tell that it's not right. There's something wrong. Like, they get it with Uncle Robert. They get how wicked and evil it is. Because, again, I, the last five years has been hard. But I have not bad mouthed her like she mm -hmm. did to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't mm -hmm. call her name for the kids. Yeah. I made it very clear that what Uncle Robert was doing was wicked and evil. And they're, you know, adults in their lives have believed this and it's not healthy you know and they connect the dots yeah wow so now that you, you you i know in your book and and in some of the other podcasts you've done you talk about how your christian faith really played a role in recovery talk to me about that well i'm not here without it um and i remember you, you know i was saved you know 
born again, saved, I accepted the Lord or surrendered my life to the Lord, whatever you want to call it, but that moment when you do realize that you need to I was a teenager. And um, I always had doubts about my, you know, salvation moment or conversion again, whatever you want to call it. I think my testimony sounded very passionate or dramatic. And now I look back on it and think, well, that's okay. You know, um, if I was perfect, I wouldn't need a savior. Yeah. And uh, so I'm, I love my testimony story. I love telling people what the Lord has done for me. He rescued me from a cult. He rescued me from my sins when I was a teenager. He's still doing it today. He's got so much patience and love for me. So, and other people say, wow, it's great that you went through this and didn't reject your faith. To which I say, I, I wouldn't be here without it. It's the only thing that got me through it. Yeah. Do you think, um, you know, I mean, what would you say to somebody um, who was involved in some sort of cult? Uh, what, what, well, let me ask it this way. If if you had somebody in front of you who said, "Hey, you know, I'm see, I'm looking at this religion. I think it might be a cult." What would you say to them to watch out for? Well, good question. Okay, here's what I tell people. It's my little taglines on the back of my book, and that is that you never know you are in a cult. You only know you were in one. Because again, mm. cults come in all shapes and sizes and look differently. But at their core, the foundation, it's about mind control. So if you are able to say, I think this is a cult, right there, the power of the cult has already been broken a little bit on you. Because if you are in a cult, you never call it a cult. There is no cult. We don't ever think of it as a cult. It's something better. It's, it's fine. It's not a cult. Only when you get out of it, you're like, uh, yeah, that was a cult. So if somebody could ask that question that you said, they're not fully in it yet, which is good. Um, hmm. But again, I think the way to answer it would be one of the warning signs, let's say someone that you know, Josh, is, you know, slipping into a cult. Again, secrecy, paranoia, and isolation. So if people that you know have all kinds of praise for one person and there's you can't say anything negative about the person, you can't question them, and they don't have any other kind of praise for other people, it's just one leader, and they start cutting off relationships, um, you know, whether it's Friday night bowling, Bible study, church, relatives, and you don't hear from them anymore, and they become isolated, those are huge red flags. Hmm. Because again, think about it. If your leader, your, we'll call it a cult leader, but if your guru really is sublime and brilliant and wise, why are you hiding him? Yeah. Why are you guys living in a commune and hiding all this? Hmm. What's there to hide? We shouldn't hide the truth, right? Do you ever have times when you... <clears throat> look back and wonder if you made the right decision to leave the cult. Well, again, I was kicked out. So, ah. um, you know, I, you know, my story's a little bit different. Usually it's people, they get, uh, they either escape or somebody takes them, you know, gets them out of the cult, right? You know, radical intervention. My intervention was she kicked me out of the cult. Again, at the time, I didn't think it was a cult. I thought it was the greatest fellowship ever, you know, and it was so special and I didn't want to lose it. A year later, I'm like, yep, uh, that was the cult. Now, hmm. I still tried to save my marriage. I prayed for Paige every day for years. I don't still do it, but every now and then I do, that she would have a road to Damascus type moment where Saul becomes Paul mm -hmm. and have her eyes and ears open. Because Uncle Robert met Paige's parents at a small seminary before Paige is even born. So he has been a authority figure, the authority figure in her life her entire life. And I truly think she was starting to come out of it. At the time, she had that dream of the tigers. She got baptized. She met me and Uncle Robert. Nothing suffocated that independence she had. It's crib and, you know, continues to control her to this day. So she knows no other world, no other life. So I would pray that one day she would uh, have her eyes and ears opened. The Lord did, doesn't want me to do it. Did anyone else ever leave the cult? Yeah, George did. Okay. And George was in it for quite a long, long time. George was the one that sent me. Um, so about a year after, year, year and a half after she left me, I got the kids. I started to see it. I started to see the cult. Somebody sent me Stephen Hassan's book. Stephen Hassan is kind of one of the, the cult gurus in America. He was in the Moonies back in the 70s and I think 80s. And it's called Combating Cult Mind Control. Hmm. And uh, he's the one that calls it Undue Mind Control. 
And it was sent to me anonymously. And I remember when I got it, it must have been about a year after she left me. I thought, oh, come on, this wasn't a cult. So I didn't read it, sat on my shelf for about a year. And then when I finally read it, you know, I'm like underlining half the book, right? Like, oh, that was us, that was us, that was us. Right. And then right before I released my book, like three months before I released it, I had had breakfast with George. He doesn't live in the same state with me. And he wants his address private because he doesn't trust um, Paige's parents and Uncle Robert. Um, we were having breakfast one day. I went to visit him and I told him about the book. And I said, I still don't know who sent that to me. And he says, I do. And that's when he told me that he had sent it to me. And it was, he he'd held on to that secret for five years. Wow. Wow. So he left. Yeah. He was yeah. a couple others. So what happens when Uncle Robert dies? Yeah, that's another question everybody asks. I don't know. It's the short answer. The long answer would be, you know, Paige and her parents have been so thoroughly indoctrinated and manipulated and controlled and brainwashed. Again, I can say that because I was. I can look back and see what I said and wrote and thought unhealthy. And now, now, well, if I was brainwashed, I know they are. Will they all of a sudden reach out to other people and start looking at other ideology and other viewpoints? I don't know. Maybe. Hmm. I would be surprised, though. I doubt it. Do you ever now look back at some of the things that you, I guess, believed back then and just been like, what was I thinking? A few things. Yep, you bet. Here's another important point, because I know we're probably running out of time, but you know, cult leaders don't convince you to follow them and earn your trust by just spouting off lies. Mm -hmm. They earn your trust by sharing the truth. I mean, after all, Uncle Robert would read from the Bible. So the analogy I give is if you miss hit a golf ball, like that much, right? A hundred yards down the fairway, it's going to be way off to the left or way off to the right. Well, 5, 10, 15 years down the road of Uncle Robert taking every single Bible verse and giving it his little perverse spin, slowly but surely, we're way away from the truth right. of the gospel. So some things were brilliant that he taught me. Other things were nonsense. Wow. So um, I appreciate you coming on. I know you had a hard out, but I got I to gotta tell you, you know, what do you, what do you think if someone's listening to this? podcast what do you think the main takeaway should be uh about your story well i i tell people you know again usually christian audiences there are three principles or three lessons you could learn number one the strong marriage should have christ in the center nobody else no pastor no counselor no nor what all the people can help from the outside not in the middle number two um don't ever get yourself separated from good fellowship again to me christian fellowship but even friends and family like if you cut off a finger the finger dies. The finger has to stay alive to stay attached to the body. We got cut off and isolated. That's when you become susceptible to a cult leader. Number three, salvation comes before sanctification. The Christian term, salvation when you get saved. It's a free gift. You cannot earn it. Sanctification is you grow and learn and mature in your faith. If somebody tries to tell you you got to do that first, they're trying to act as the gatekeeper to God and run in the opposite direction because it's totally unbiblical. Those hmm. are three lessons. Interesting. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. It's fascinating. I feel yeah. like I could go. I could go an extra hour with you. I mean, there's just like so much stuff that you can unpack. I know you gotta. You gotta go. Um, as far as your relationship with your kids now, you mentioned your. The last thing I'll ask you. You. Um, you mentioned the the older two, little strained still, but the other three. Do you feel like your relationship with them is is strong? Well, certainly much better um, with the middle one. There are some circumstances right now that are a little difficult. But, you know, over the five years that those three kids were with me full time, it was wonderful. It was a lot of hard mm -hmm. work. It's very hard being a single dad, you know, and trying yeah. to write a book and, and, and make a living. But I loved every minute of it, you know, looking back. Um, and, you know, I'm not the first dad that has got sons in their mid-20s that are angry with their dad, right? Again, mm -hmm. our circumstances are really bizarre and odd and, and severe. But, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I remember somebody telling me that with parenting. It's a marathon, not a sprint. You do what you can. You love your children. And uh, you can't control how they respond in their relationship to you. I know I've done my best or I've tried to do my best for them. 
Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I had a, I'll wrap this up with this. I had a guy named Ned Telford on who he's been, uh, he's worked in the, in the LDS church quite a bit. Um, good friend of mine. And he mentioned his parents and, and how they were kind of hands off with him. And he said his parents kind of understood that kids are just going to do what they're going to do. And I think that that's true. I think if we teach them correct principles, uh, they'll eventually do whatever they're going to do, whether they have to learn it on their own by making mistakes or they can hear something like that and follow it. You know, if you teach them those correct principles, eventually they won't they won't fall for it. Or they won't they'll they'll come back to it even if they stray from it. And, so, and that, of course, is the hope of every parent, right? It's yeah. the hope of every parent that, that you did do that. And then when they're when they're 18, and they go off on their own. And yeah, they might make some mistakes, but you hope in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, yeah. They'll come back to it. Yeah, well, well, Peter, I told you I I would uh, I would honor your your heart out in an hour, yeah. so I appreciate you taking the time. But um, we'll have to have you back so we can talk a little bit more. Yeah. I want to I want to talk about your faith and basketball book uh, yeah. at some yeah. point because yeah. that would be great. And um, uh, so for those who have listened, uh, subscribe if you ever have any questions or anything. You know, post them in the comments, and I'll be sure when I have Peter back on, we'll ask those questions. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and uh, let's keep in contact. You bet. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you.